Welcome to Exploring Possibilities. I'm your host, Cheryl Sitz. Since 2012, Mario Rosales of Tech Life Balance and I have been airing inspiring, insightful conversations with all kinds of change agents who are raising the vibration on our planet. It's the intention of our show to explore possibilities and shift perspectives in holistic, spiritual ways. You'll hear how various industry experts discover and share their deepest passions to make a bigger difference in the world. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And do me a favor, please come back and rate the show so that new people can find us. We'll introduce our next guest in just a moment. Have you ever gone to a social media seminar and you have the online experts telling you, get a blog, get a website, get on social media, all this other stuff. By the time you're done with that seminar, that online expert is very good at frying your brain. The funny part is, you come back home, you get in front of the computer, and you're lost. Hi, I am Mario with Tech Life Balance. I see this all the time. You spend so much money and still don't know what is going on with your online presence. And you know, you probably don't need all of that. Let me go ahead and translate Geek to English for you and show you what you really need because you don't need it all. You probably only need a few components. You have a great message out there and I would like to hear it, and I definitely want to help you put it out there. I am Mario Rosales with TechLifeBalance.net. I produce this podcast because I love distributing messages. Let me help you distribute your message. Hi, it's your host, Cheryl Sitz. And when I'm not doing this podcast, I really enjoy coaching you on how you can have the life you really want. As creators of our own reality, there's a lot of ways that we can block ourselves, hold ourselves back, or just not get really clear on what it is we want. Once we do that, there is no stopping us. I'd love to help you do that. Get in touch with me at CherylSits.com. Well, our latest digital magazine is out, all about discovering ancient treasures, and we really played with that theme. We have, of course, the cover story, Dr. Sam talking about his discoveries at the Bosnian pyramids, and some very recent discoveries that he shares with us in there. And then all of our authors took that theme to heart when they wrote their articles. So you'll have a lot of fun checking that out. It's at journeyofpossibilities.com, where you can subscribe and receive one a quarter absolutely free. You know, Mario and I had a guest that didn't make one of our recent shows, and so we did kind of an impromptu thing on anxiety. He had noticed the big trend in the search for anxiety on Google. And after that show, one of our listeners reached out, who also empowers women to overcome anxiety. She contacted us through the website and offered to come on the show and continue that conversation. Michael Ann Conley is the creator of Habits Into Health, helping women create healthy habits to stay calm, confident, and free. For 32 years, she's applied her master's in clinical holistic health education with a license in marriage and family therapy, and she empowers clients through addiction recovery, only to discover that that same system will help anyone transform their daily habits and lifestyle. Besides consulting, she's written, Do You Have a Habit or Does Your Habit Have You?, And she shares part of her personal story and useful tips for self-care in the anthology, Come Out of Hiding and Shine. She's the founder and director of Still Point Center for Health, Wellbeing, and Renewal in the San Francisco Bay Area, where she collaborates with local holistic practitioners. You'll find her online at habitsintohealth.com, and she's joining us now. Hello there, Cheryl. It's nice to talk to you. It's great to have you on the show. I'm so glad that you reached out. And anxiety is such an interesting topic. Can you tell me a little bit about how it resonated for you personally to take that route in the work that you do with women? 
Well, I think this evolved uh, over time, actually. I came to realize that the women that I was working with in addiction recovery, in you know serious life-threatening addictions, drug addiction and alcoholism, that a lot of what was driving them was anxiety. And as I, can, as I worked over the years with women who were dealing with someone else's addiction initially, that's where it started. They weren't addicts and alcoholics themselves, but they had a parent who was or had married someone uh, and was still married or divorced and co-parenting in some way or another, that um, their anxiety was also it was just really, really similar and that they had turned to habitual behaviors to try to manage it. And maybe it wasn't drinking or using, but it might be overeating. It might be uh, trying to control other people, overdoing, overworking, and that kind of thing. And uh, I began to realize that there's this link between addictions uh, on the one end, you know, the serious addictions, but also for habitual behaviors that just make us unhappy and aren't going to lead to a DUI or even a divorce. And so I began to dive into this with my clients. And, and, and as often happens, you know, when we are looking at this, we're also looking at ourselves. And so I came to really come to terms with some of my own issues around anxiety as well. Well, it's true, no matter what our background, and certainly in homes with addiction, that's quite a roller coaster ride that I have experienced with myself. It's trying to cope, right? At some mm-hmm. level, the addict's mm-hmm. trying to cope, the family's trying to cope, we're all trying to cope, and we reach for something to help us cope, which can either be our own addiction, or it can just be some self-destructive behavior. And in the end, it seems like we end up the opposite of self-love and self-nurturing. Most of the people that I know that went through that, we don't have good habits in taking in loving ourselves every day. Right, right. In fact, I talk a lot about three mistakes that we tend to make when we realize that we have a bad habit. And sometimes we'll just joke about that. I have a bad habit, but it's not really a joke. And one of the first things that we do is we put ourselves down. We go into negative self-talk. We punish ourselves. And even saying I have a bad habit is a way of kind of, it's code for bad me. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And I certainly had my time with that when I was younger. It took a long time to, to come to a place of acceptance of who I was and over time, I really realized that uh, in my family, ang- I have anxiety, an anxiety thread in both sides of my family, on my mother's side and my father's side. And I hadn't really fully appreciated that and how that affected me. Well, when you were talking about the bad habit, like bad me, there is so much shame in having these habits, especially if they're illegal or they're known to be substance abuse, overeating and being fat mm-hmm. or drinking or smoking cigarettes when it's no longer mm-hmm. the trend. So there's mm-hmm. a shame built in already that kind of leads us to that. I'm bad person because I'm doing this. Right, right. And that's, you know, when you, you talk about self-love, you know, and what are the practices that we can uh, engage in to create a health healthy way of managing ourselves when we realize there's something that's a, that's a little bit off or a lot off. Yeah. And I think that that first place of, of 
self-punishment, that first mistake, is really, um, it's that's a habit in itself, Cheryl. <laughs> you know, it's yes. like, oh, we need to, we need to deal with that, you know. And then there's the two other mistakes that I talk about is that uh, the believing that we need to do something to get rid of the habit. So trying to get rid of something actually makes it entrench itself a little more instead of instead of trying a different way of managing something. And then the third mistake is trying to force change through willpower. And a lot of these things are happening alone. It sort of ends up driving isolation. And, you know, we talk about in our culture how how men are more isolated. But when women get caught in this, they start to isolate. They may have friends, but they don't necessarily talk about this deep pain and sorrow of something that that they just aren't managing. They keep it to themselves. That is so true. Often the most social of us aren't really talking about the elephant in the room. You're right. Right, right, right. Well, because I would say a lot of the women that I work with, they're busy professional women, and they are very accomplished in their work. Um, they have risen up in the corporate ladder. Um, they, some of them are entrepreneurs and, you know, they know how to, they know how to look good. They know how to dress nice and look powerful, but inside they feel bad. Yeah. And, and, and how to, how to get out of that. You said something about daily practices. You know, what, what are the things that we can do in, in simple, small ways that begin a course correction? That has to happen before the habit itself can be resolved. And self-love is the first place where that has to start. You know, and for some of us, for a long time at least, those were just words. I, I was like, yeah. great, I need to love myself. What on earth does that look like? And does I'm still mean? trying mm-hmm. to figure that out. You know, for me, I'll try things and go, well, that's not really me. I think the most interesting thing about the journey to self-love in terms of practices, is trying things and going, okay, this is me. No, that might be her, but that's not me. I don't really mm-hmm. resonate with this. I do resonate with that. And all of that takes time. So I guess even before that, it's creating time for yourself every day, right? Right, right. Well, and you said something important. I was listening again to that uh, to that episode when you and Mario were talking about anxiety. <laughs> and you were talking about... Um, you said something like there's a big flag. When you're anxious, you know that it's a big flag to stop and breathe. Yeah. And you also said something really important, which, which is to recognize that this is happening for me instead of happening to me. Because that something's happening to me means it's coming from outside to me. Mm-hmm. And then if I feel bad about it, then I don't just feel bad about the habit. I feel bad about accepting that bad thing that's coming to me. And I'm powerless and I'm a victim. And as you've mentioned about all your work with addicts in homes and addiction and addiction riddled families, that Mm -hmm. is a big thread. There is this victim mentality that goes through the generations that life is happening to me and not for me. That was a huge paradigm shift for me to go, oh my God, you mean all the... Why would I have bad things happen for me? And that was the place where I could actually start to learn and grow was when I, mm-hmm. when I sat with that question instead of feeling sorry for myself because bad things happened to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, a speaker and a former Mary Knoll missioner. His name is uh, Wayne Muller. I think I'm recalling correctly. And he did a talk uh, once that I attended in which he, he said, why is it that when something good happens, we don't say, why did that happen to me? 
Or why did that occur? We sort of, we feel, I deserve that. Mm-hmm. We don't question it. But when something bad happens, we do. Like, why is that happening to me? As if in some way, he, he would say, why not? Why not? Life is not here to be unilaterally welcoming. And I think a lot of people in this day and age want life to be welcoming. But the reality is that sometimes it's a mixed bag. And maybe you go through a period of period of time in your life when things are pretty crappy. And then there may be other times when everything is going well. Well, if you're not to blame for the good things that are happening, why would you put blame yourself for the bad things that are happening? Good perspective. That's great. You know? <laughs> so I want to go back to what you said. You said it's a big flag to stop and breathe. And we, you know, this day and age, a lot of people are doing meditation, uh, various kinds of meditation, or they're doing yoga. So we're all very, very uh, acclimated to the idea of stopping and breathing. What's curious to me is uh, why we don't do it more. You know, like we stop in the midst of anxiety. What we do is we stop our breathing. And that's that actually involves a muscular process. It's not just in your mind. It's actually a pattern of a kind of contracting yourself. And then that stops the breathing mechanism. So I always like to, to invite uh, my clients and the folks, my audiences when I'm speaking to just notice what's moving. And maybe our listeners now and, uh, uh, you and I and Mario, we can just notice what mo- what's moving without us doing anything at all. We don't have to do anything. And if you do that, most people will start noticing their breathing. It just happens by nature, right? And we don't breathe very deeply instinctively. We are really kind of shallow in the way that we go through the days breathing. Right. And then we'll go and do breath work or yoga or meditation and take these really deep conscious breaths and go, wow, that yeah. felt really great. And then we go back to the way we right. always breathe. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and there's an orientation. Actually, the way that I work with the breath is a different orientation because a lot of the orientation on the breath is to focus on the inhale. But if everybody right now, everybody's listening, and I'm actually going to, I'll make a noise, so I'll be, give myself permission to make a noise. I, I, I invite everybody to, on the next exhale to breathe out and empty your lungs as much as possible, even if you blow out like this. <sighs> I tell you, you can barely talk. And then, then what's going to happen on the other side of that is an inhale, a deep inhale, is going to come by nature. It just happens. Yeah, it feels really good. I turned the microphone yeah. off so you guys didn't have to hear me. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have to hear you do it. Well, that would have been okay. Yeah. <laughs> I tell people, let's just be silly. Let's blow out. Yeah, and it does. Yeah. You immediately and want to replace that air. Yes, because when when you're invited to take a deep breath, the tendency is to take what you believe is a deep breath. And very often what I see is people straining to breathe deeply, rather than allowing a deep breath to happen. So starting by exhaling out allows a natural inhale to occur. And this is physiological. You don't have to imagine it at all. And then there's another thing. Can I, can I say something else about breathing that most people don't sure, attend to? Please. Well, and this is why I start with notice what's moving. 
So everybody, as you're listening, you know, you may be sitting, you may be driving, you might be walking around. Just notice what's moving and you're not trying to make anything happen. It's just moving. Well, most of the time, when we think about breathing, we believe it's in the front of us because we are built so that our most, actually the human being, the most vulnerable side of ourselves is the front. If you curl yourself over like an animal, that's the part of an animal that's the most protected is the belly, the chest and the belly, right? Yes. So here we are humans. We have organized ourselves, evolved to standing up where the most vulnerable part of ourselves is actually facing out. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big deal. But we tend to think of breathing as just being out. Well, the lungs are in this cage of ribs, protective protective cage, and the, and the lungs move not just forward, they move backward. So if you notice what's moving when you're breathing, be attentive to what's moving in your back. Or you could even notice like the lungs move out toward the arms. So you could even notice what's moving your arms. And it may be very, very subtle because you're just breathing in an everyday way. But if you really be attentive to the movement of your breath, you might even notice that your breath is moving you in the lower back or in the belly without you deep doing any intentional deep breathing. And this in itself helps to stop and slow us down from a, a place of judgment because when we're connected to ourselves, we tend to be less judgmental. I like that. That's pretty powerful. And you're right. Mm-hmm. I, I actually went and did the Vipassana 10-day silent meditation, which was <gasps> oh, quite wow. an experience. And that's the focus of that is on noticing the most subtle touch of air against our skin or movement mm-hmm. in our body or sensation yep. in our body. And for 10 days, that's all you do is notice the sensations of the body and of the air moving through the room. And to do that for 10 days, when most of us don't do that for 10 minutes in a day, mm-hmm. just to mm-hmm. feel ourselves and to notice what is, we're very externally focused as a society. Mm-hmm. We just don't sit with that. Right. In fact, I think that um, mindfulness, which is one form of meditation that's really popular, it isn't about mindfulness at all. From my point of view, uh, the body is the source and the mind, what we call the mind, is a part of the body and that there's a relationship between the body and its mind and the mind and its body. And that if we focus too much on thinking that we're being mindful, when in fact, All of these practices involve physical action and attention to the body. Yes, we definitely came here to be in our bodies and we spend so much, so much energy getting out of them, (laughs) trying to get out of it (laughs) or not feel them or numb them out or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. It's It's very paradoxical. When I was in school way back, oh, this is the seventies and eighties. And we'd say, we are not humans on a spiritual path. We're spirits on a human path. Let's be here. And I still encounter that conversation, especially with mm-hmm. lightworkers, which we have a lot of listening to our show. Mm-hmm. And I love mm-hmm. the beautiful work that we're doing as lightworkers. But it's so so easy to get so lost in spirit that we aren't in our bodies anymore. And we came here to embody spirit. Mm-hmm. I think it's so yeah. important to be in the body. Right. Yeah. So when we, when I am sharing what I've learned um, about managing my own anxiety and my own habitual behaviors, what I found is that trying to think this through 
doesn't get me very far. For me, and for the folks who are interested in what, what I offer, it really is about experiential learning rather than head learning. It's about actually doing it. And the, that daily practice is, uh, uh, for me, it's not necessarily sitting for 15 minutes a day. It actually is a practice during the day. So, for instance, the first, the first thing that really kind of clicked for me I've been uh, following uh, for many years, more than 30 years, a pioneer in somatic work or body-oriented work. His name is uh, Stanley Kellerman, and he's here in the Bay Area. It's one of the reasons why I stayed here in San Francisco was to learn as much as I could from him. And it really is very body-centered. So I realized when I was driving that I was gripping the steering wheel. So I began to work as I was driving, you know, at a stoplight. Or whenever I would notice, do I have to grip this steering wheel this hard <laughs> in order to drive? And the answer is usually no. And the interesting piece is you don't have to go into why do I do this or what's that about? All you have to do is practice gripping less. Mm-hmm. You don't have to you don't have to go into a whole psychology of analyzing <laughs> yourself. You just do the physical. You just do the physical action, and then that's empowering in itself. Yeah, I imagine. I, I like mm-hmm. that how you put that. Well, from one of the things that I noticed, so in giving up all these bad habits over the years, that's the only way I know how to talk about it. <laughs> one of them that I was delighted to finally overcome was smoking because I did it for a number of years. But what I noticed after I quit smoking was how important the breath was in smoking. It wasn't just about sucking down the nicotine because Mm -hmm. I was jonesing for nicotine. It was the fact that whenever I got mad or whenever I got stressed out, the first thing I did, and especially when it became an outdoor only activity was get up and leave my desk and go outside and take some deep breaths. Yes. I was Mm -hmm. inhaling and exhaling tobacco, so as to not throw out the baby with the bathwater, <laughs> if I can just go take the walk and take the deep breaths, then I'd be doing really mm-hmm. good, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. And in fact, a lot of people, you know, once they created those smoking zones, uh, those are the folks that are getting up out of their seats. Yeah. <laughs> and walking down the hall and out <laughs> the door and, and everybody else is sitting and eating their leafy greens. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember feeling kind of resentful going, well, if I quit smoking, then I don't get to go outside. (laughs) Hmm. Like there was a written rule about that, right? (laughs) Oh, oh, so, so does that mean we should create walking zones? Yes. Where you, you, you get up out at your desk and you go to the place where you're only allowed to walk with everybody. That would be nice. (laughs) Well, I'm in the Gulf Coast area and right now it is like the surface of the sun out there. So I would say most of the year I would use that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's pretty hot here too. Oh yeah. It's like, oh, we're in a, we're in a heat, we're in a massive heat wave. So, oh God. (laughs) Yeah. But most of the year that would be a nice little fringy, right? For those of us that are actually trying to use healthy, deep breathing practices to move through our anxiety. Yes. Yes. Let's just take in all of that hot air. (laughs) Oh, now there's, that brings up another idea. Hmm. Hot air. (laughs) There's a lot of hot air being expelled these days. Hmm. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. 
Well, I know that we've talked a lot about anxiety and I don't want to cut you off from sharing anything else you may have intended to share today about anxiety, (laughs) Uh, but I would love to explore on a broader level, just general practices for self-love because most everyone today can, can benefit, especially women who are so good at taking care of everybody else from some simple practices and self-love. For me, it was as easy as getting in the habit of taking a bath in the morning instead of a shower and giving Mm -hmm. myself that time to just soak and revel in that. And I love that now. Mm -hmm. What are some of the favorite little self-love tips that you give the women that you work with that they find kind of start to move them in a new direction with the way they treat themselves? Well, one of the things that I usually do is invite them to explore and share what is it that they do in their ordinary life that gives them a sense of joy and peace, because that's going to be different for everybody. And, you know, sadly, a lot of women kind of go blank, like, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. But with a little bit of digging, what I find are, well, there'll be answers like, well, I really like reading and I haven't read a good book in ages. Or, yeah, I kind of, I've lost track of how much I enjoy digging in the garden. Or, I haven't really spent any quality time. I mean, I take my kids with me when we go on errands. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I don't just take one-on-one time with each of them. And so we'll tap into what is it that gives you joy. Because a, a lot of times if you, if you say, I'm going to practice self-love, then that becomes a have to. <laughs> another chore, right? <laughs> and it becomes another chore. You know, like, so then, okay, uh, I, I subscribe to the philosophy that if it ain't fun, it won't get done. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll invite uh, my women to think of, well, what, what gives you pleasure? What gives you, what is fun for you? And if they haven't figured that out, then we'll explore, okay, what's fun? Because um, just laughing, like we're laughing today, and I hope our listeners are laughing with us. <laughs> That's, the, you know, just, just even spending time with good friends, calling a friend up. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a solitary activity. But I think that um, it's very important to find something that flips that switch. And uh, for me, it very often is just sitting and having a cup of tea in the morning for five minutes, 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. or calling a friend. I have friends all over the country and they're in different time zones. So I can call friends, family, and that gives me pleasure. So little things like that, where you just step away from the busyness and that's the key right there is the stepping away because I know people that are so busy that they, even when they do that, they don't. they're still doing other things while they're doing it. It's like there's never a time that is me, that's my time, that's my, right. my delight, my joy without having to also be giving it to somebody else or right. something. Right. And I also have a little, I wouldn't call it a, a mantra per se, but it's something that I say when I realize that I have been in a little endless loop. And that endless loop might be, wow, I'm just a little wound up about this thing that I am doing, or I'm a little wound up about this thing that I need to do, or I'm uh, preoccupied, or I've been working 
too much without taking a break. And I will say, huh, isn't it interesting? I have been, whatever it is, for, and then I'll kind of give it a roundabout time for about the last 20 minutes. Oh, isn't it interesting? I have been preoccupied about this for the last 20 minutes. Isn't it interesting? Because that's a phrase that doesn't tend to have a lot of judgment. It doesn't have a layer of sarcasm attached to it or negativity. It's a neutral phrase that seems to say nothing, but actually it can release us from judging ourselves. Because a lot of times what will happen is when you realize you've been doing something that isn't in your best interest, you'll say things like, hey, there I go again. Oh, why do I keep doing that? All of those self-punishing things. So I think it's really important to find a phrase that you can say to yourself that flips that switch. And I use, isn't it interesting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that one too. You know, and it's since we're talking so candidly about this, I had a mom that I didn't realize until later in life was definitely depressed throughout my childhood. Mm-hmm. And the self-talk mm-hmm. that, sh- that went on in her head that the, she would then say out loud to me and anyone else around was all negative. And even though she mm-hmm. would at one moment say, you know, you can do anything you put your heart and mind to, then, then five minutes later she'd be telling me all the reasons why it would never work out. And mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. tapes run deep for a long time. So for me, a big thing is just being aware of it. And mm-hmm. catching myself, even and then yes, saying isn't it interesting? But just to catch it before it's been a runaway train for twenty minutes, you know, and, mm-hmm. and say mm-hmm. okay, there, there's that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, I, um, I call that a platform framework. There's a difference between saying what's so, and if what's so is unhappy, but you're saying it without a punitive angle towards yourself. And saying what's so with with a punitive way of describing yourself. So it may be that I will say, wow, I'm feeling pretty down today. As opposed to, I'm feeling so down and yeah, 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 yeah. You know, kind of yammering at myself. (laughs) And and I think a lot of us get caught in that uh, yammering at ourselves instead of just saying, oh, this is what's so. I'm having a low energy day here. Which is just, a, it's like it's, a, it's a, a platform that isn't, we're not climbing a ladder and struggling. We're not pushing ourselves down. Which just, we're just standing on it and saying what is mm-hmm. without judgment. Which can be the most loving thing we give ourselves all day is to catch ourselves doing that mm-hmm. and not judge it. <laughs> and not judge it. And then guess what you get to do after that? You get to go, oh, isn't it interesting? I just said what was so about my feelings of being depressed or anxious, and I didn't put myself down about it, then you get a moment of celebration. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not jumping up and down and going, yay, aren't I great? (laughs) You know, you may not be in that kind of a mood, but you can, you'll, there's a, there's a different feeling. And in, um, in uh, one of my programs, I actually talk about, you, you use the phrase, the runaway train. I have a whole process called the negative thought train that really <laughs> helps people recognize the relationship between constant negative self-talk, self-punishment, and depression. Yeah. Because, you know, it just, it stops the energy flow. 
It does. And it seems like whatever, it's the physics thing, whatever motion we've got going on wants to stay in motion. So when we get in that negative process, boy, we can just keep that train going until we stop it and put on the brakes and go, okay, I want to do, I want to change this. I don't, I want to feel differently about this and create something different for ourselves to stop that flow of energy. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So what are some other of your favorite daily practices that you find really resonate well with the women that you work with? I have learned a great deal in my study and learning from Stanley Kellerman. And so I always start with the body. I always start with attuning to what's happening physically because every thought has muscular activity associated with it. Yes. And what I find is, is, you know, if you try to, trying to, to grab a thought is like trying to grab a cloud. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, the neural network, the nervous system that we think of as mental moves very, very fast. But the muscular system moves a little bit slower and is that's the place where we can do. So I help my clients make a connection between, oh, I'm thinking this, well, well, where do I experience myself? And then I've, I've learned a, a process that I can guide them through. St- first by, you know, where, where do I feel that? Oh, I notice I am clenching in my jaw right now. Or I feel really tight in my belly. Or I'm, I'm making a fist. And then you can work more easily with the muscular pattern that's associated with the thought. And at the very least, Uh, What many of my clients discover first off is just putting their attention on the muscular pattern takes them out of their negative thought. So it's an antidote immediately. Then it becomes a practice in learning how to use yourself through uh, very simple physical uh, practices that, you know, I joke with them. I say, okay, you're not burning many calories here, but you are doing something. The cellular tissue is operating here. And you're honoring and, and respecting that the body actually has a lot to say to, to cool the mind down. There's a lot of gifts there. How much of this can we learn about in your books? Do you cover this in either one of your books that you've written? Well, um, the uh, Come Out of Hiding and Shine book is more of my, a little bit of a story about how I came to do this as a as a process of recognizing destiny. And I do offer some tips about how to check yourself at the door. Uh, I call it the 2% feedback solution, whenever somebody gives you feedback. So there is a little bit there. But the experiential work is actually much easier for folks to, uh, to get in a more private and personal setting. So I work with people uh, a phone and on Zoom and in retreats and in groups, uh, you know, one-on-one with families and individuals to, to, help, uh, to help them begin to use themselves differently. And I'm moving into this area where, gosh, how do you do that in a, in a world where so many of us are in contact offline? You know, how do you do it in an auditory way? Which is where I came up with the exercise of just notice what's moving starting there, even when I'm not in the room. Uh, I can guide people in noticing what, what's moving and, and work with them to support them in noticing what's really happening. And it is a practice. 
it is a practice. Uh, I am, I am in the process, the, uh, the, um, uh, habits book, I'm reorganizing that and I'm hoping to, to arrange with the publisher to, uh, uh, redesign that and make it, bring it up to date. So that one I'm, is it's more about uh, it's more about recognizing when your habit is getting in your way and what are the kinds of practical things you can do about it rather than working bodily. Well, I love your three steps. I mean, it makes so much sense to we know those things don't work. So a different approach yeah. to changing our habits is a great foundation for the work that you do. And I was delighted to hear that you do this via Skype and Zoom so that we don't all have to go to the Bay Area to work with you. So that's nice to know, too. Right. Right. Yes. And I like traveling, too. You know, so <laughs> sometimes I take it where I go. You know, awesome. I feel like I'm going I'm going to go someplace and then see if I can find a place where I can do a talk. Wonderful. Well, we'll keep that in mind too over here. Well, good. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I would like to ask you what I love to ask all of my guests, which is whether you have a parting thought that you'd like to leave listeners with today. Mm. Yes. Start small and be kind to yourself along the way. That's beautiful. That feels really good. Would you like to be a guest on Exploring Possibilities? Drop me a note at info at journeyofpossibilities.com. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on Exploring Possibilities.